Walk a mile in these Louboutins But they don't wear these shits where I'm from Hello and welcome to the Voices of Echo podcast. I'm your host, Doug Wagner. Okay, I'm here today with Chris Wilkes, Inside Client Sales. Hi, Chris. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Um, thanks for joining me today. Sorry to take you away from making money. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, you started your career in uh, this business with, with Command, right? Correct. And that was about five and a half years ago? Correct. Why don't you tell me about uh, how you came to work at Command and, and uh, how, you, how you recruited and what was your path uh, to where you are today? Yeah, well, I went to DePaul University uh, here in Chicago, and they um, actually right out of school, I started a, a painting business, and uh, that went well, but running a business at 22 years old was a, a big eye-opener for me. Um, it's, uh, it's really hard to, to own a business, and I, I always tell everybody that um, you know people say that people that go to war or, or in the service are American heroes, and they absolutely are, and also that you know, small business owners, in my opinion, are truly American heroes because that is, it is just so hard. And I, people don't realize what it's like. A lot of people tell me that this job is a lot like owning your own business. And it's, it's not, um, you do have your book of business and you have your own clients and you have that kind of thing, but there's so much more that goes into it. Um, the first time I just got a paycheck, it was sort of like, Oh my God, you guys are just giving it to me. I don't have to do the accounting. I don't have to, you know, pay for the insurance or employees. There's just so much that goes into it. Um, and it, it is, it's awesome just to get a paycheck sometimes for now, hard work. How long did you have your painting business? Uh, about two and a half years. And, oh God. And you just started it from nothing? Um, actually, I met these guys that would uh, start a franchise. Okay. And they were franchising painting businesses. And that's, they wanted to open up the Chicago market. So I thought it was a great opportunity to get into it because I knew a little bit about painting. Um, it was just like interior and exterior home painting. And, um, yeah, no, I, I got that, that started and it actually went really well as far as sales goes. Uh, cause I feel like that's my strong suit is in-person sales. To me, that is, uh, where I really, really excel. Um, especially going into people's homes. It's very, very personal. You know, and that was one of my sales points is I tell them, I'd say, Hey, you got to feel comfortable with me. You know, I'm going in some of the places that your best friends aren't going into, you know, behind your toilet or something like that. And if you don't, it's cool. And if you do, let's, you know, let us paint your, your house. Yeah. And I think the other th- difficult thing about a, a business that's that size is, you know, when you're the owner, you, you do everything. Like you said, you do the accounting, the payroll, you do the sales, you do the work. And it's one of the things is you're, you, you need to be outselling to get new business, but you also have to be delivering on the business that you sold. And it's difficult to do both at the same time, right? Absolutely. I mean, mar- yeah, marketing. And then I would actually, the biggest problem was, was, I would come in and make a really, really good impression on everybody. And of course, my, my crew was, they were good guys. They were former union painters and they were all awesome. But sometimes I wouldn't be at the job sites. I'd, I'd leave. Um, so I had to go sell and marketing and yada, yada, yada. And um, they'd always be upset that I wasn't there. And my crew would be there. And the hardest thing was finding good guys you could trust to leave at somebody's home. And that landing the business, getting the business, I felt was really easy. Executing was the hard part and something like that. But Yeah. Then you've got the... Uh the rework that you have to do when oh the customer's not it's, satisfied, right? There's so much, yeah. You're lucky you never had my wife as a customer. <laughs> I she's, try, she's I a try to customer. <laughs> so you went to DePaul, what'd you study? Uh, I got a um, degree in communication with a focus in sales, actually, one of the first degrees of its kind at that time. Um, and they, the sales uh, focus partnered with a bunch of different companies, Command being one of them. 
Um, and we, that's how I got hooked up with command is through the painting business was, I had a chance to sell it and get out of it clean. So I did that for two, about two and a half years or so. Then I went back to DePaul and was like, Hey, can you guys help me get a job now? And then of course, through my degree, um, I got hooked up with command interviewed at a few places and command just really, um, I knew that's where I had to be. You know, it, it, we're starting to see more and more universities are offering sales degrees and it's, it's a, I think it's an incredible degree just because, you know, every business requires sales and it's an important function in business and it's not traditionally been taught. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to being a good salesperson, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, making phone calls, it's negotiating, it's, it's overcoming objections. There's a lot of skill, a lot of technique. It takes experience or strategy. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see a lot more universities are offering programs in sales. Yeah. And they actually had uh, a lot of former CEOs of like Converse, Mars Candy, uh, really big companies teaching kids, which I thought was pretty awesome. And I'm guessing that you found your education to be very applicable in both your painting business and then working at Command and Echo, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, some people have maybe have a knack for sales. Yeah. Um, some people, yeah, you know. I think one of the, one of the problems that we have recruiting young people out of college, uh, especially with a, a, call it a non-sales degree, is that, you know, they don't know if they're going to like sales, right? And, and some people, know that they have a personality for sales and it's something that they want to do and they think they can be good at it. And sales is traditionally a, a role where you can make a lot of money and have a certain amount of freedom. Um, but other people kind of try it out, not really knowing if they're going to like it. And some percentage of people don't like it. You know, they, they, in our case, we've had a lot of people that have joined the company and sales and they said, Hey, I really like the company. I like the culture. I don't know if I really like sales, you know, and, and oftentimes they, they say, can I go do something else? in the company outside of sales. So I think finding people that know they want to be in sales is, is really a good thing for the company. And, and uh, I hope more and more universities uh, create that curriculum and find people that know they want to be in sales. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why DePaul tries to partner with certain companies. And I think it's more companies try to partner with DePaul and get hooked up with kids that know what they're getting into opposed to hiring you know, people that have history degrees or we'll have to talk like to that. our recruiters and make sure we're still in contact with DePaul. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know command was, so, yeah. uh, yeah. um, so when you joined command, um, tell me about the training and, and your apprenticeship and how long it took you to start working on your own book of business. Um, well, I had kind of a weird start. Um, the, uh, mentor that I got partnered with was kind of in a transition phase. He was becoming a manager himself. Um, so, at, at that time, it was it was kind of weird how it all worked out, but ultimately, after I kind of menteed under him, I wound up with Brian Burke, who was your first um, guest on the podcast. Um, he was my manager um, at that point in time. He was he was just a manager, and um, now he's so much more. Right, he's a uh, uh, big time here. And um, after about a year, I, I was under Brian, and I like I said, I had sort of a, a weird transition there where I'll be honest, I didn't get the concept of what we did. And I was definitely a, like a project. Um, and Brian took me on and I'm, I'm so grateful and so thankful. Uh, was it kind of the mechanics of the industry or what, what part did you not really get at first? Our software. <clears throat> okay. Got um, it. cause I didn't use a lot of it with my, my mentor, which is, you know, now I'm a mentor and I, I make sure I, that's one of the things that I really show my guys. And I, I think like the best mentors are the guys that had, um, mentors that didn't teach them everything because then they know 
God, the next guy that comes through, I'm going to show him these two or three things that I didn't learn um, so that these guys are starting where I should have started. Um, but, you know, I think the, the bosses you learn the most from are the ones that, uh, you know, you don't always agree with what they do, right? Absolutely. That's a, that's well said. That's mm. put my thoughts to words. <laughs> Good. So uh, you, you started picking it up with a little bit of uh, coaching or did you do most of that on your own? Well, uh, both, you know, and Brian at the time had a group of like 35 guys. So he gave me as much time as he could possibly give me, um, which I'm again, super thankful for. But, uh, I started to grasp it, uh, once he started showing me a few things, which made it exciting for him and for me. Um, and it was a long struggle, but it was a good one. And, um, uh, it, it turned out for the best. And I, I really got the sense from Brian that it, as long as you're here and you're trying your hardest and you're working for me, you know what I mean? Maybe coming in early, staying a little late this thing's going to work. And, uh, I committed and it did, and it wasn't easy. Um, it was scary at a lot of times. I didn't know if I was going to hit my draw at first, things like that. But once I really understood the concept of what we were doing, it took off for me. And how's the market feel to you right now? Awesome. It just got awesome. Um, when we first did the transition, it was scary again. Um, and exciting in a weird way. Cause I felt like it was starting over. Um, and at that point in time too, the market was super, super tight. I've noticed, um, since January 1st, it's completely flip, flipped around, at least for me. Um, I, I do some stuff with fracking guys, oil, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that stuff's going up. Is and fracking picking up again? It is. It is. Well, oil is going to be expensive pretty soon. That's it's in the fifties now, I think, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, it, you know, once it gets to sixties, when it's like kind of like the magic number of let's get it going. I think maybe those guys are forecasting for it because. I'm busier than ever with them. So it's, that's exciting. So, um, you grew up in the Chicago area, right? Yeah. Uh, suburb called Glen Allen, Illinois. It's Dave Menzel suburb. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I heard that. And, um, went to high school there and yep. stayed in the area for college, right? Lombard West. But then I of course came to the city for college to Did you play any sports in, in high school. Yeah. Played them all. You know, I was a three sport athlete for four years, football, Which, wrestling track. You're a wrestler, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, that's good. My uh, my son's a wrestler, so I enjoy that sport. Is he how old your son? He's uh, he's fifteen, and he's a freshman. Freshman, okay, and he's cool. R- wrestling on varsity, really. So that's exciting. Uh, and he's one seventy. So one seventy. Unfortunately, he goes up against a lot of kids that are seniors. And they I, have they have man strength. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> he's no, still a boy. <laughs> that's the older kids' weight, kind of. Anytime you get past like yeah, one sixty two, I think he'll be a monster when he's a junior or senior. Yeah, I think so too. Do you do any uh, sports in college? I did not actually, I uh, started my sophomore year. We started a wrestling club as a club sport and um, it was just kind of too much for me to run and a couple other guys, but we did it for about a year, but that was as far as we can go with it. I was actually a wrestler back in the day. Were you? It was a long time ago. Okay. It's a great sport. I think it, uh, it's one of the hardest sports, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the amount of commitment, focus, training that you have to do and, and, uh, I think it pays a lot of dividends in life. It's not a team sport. It's a right. Um, you look pretty jacked. You look like you're still working out, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, actually, I well, since I wrestled so much in the past, it kind of transitioned. One of my other loves is pro wrestling, um, and I, I kind of stay in shape for that. I, I do. That's like a, I'm like oh, a week, you do pro wrestling. Yeah, like a weekend warrior type thing. Wow. Um, like WWE type stuff. And if you, you that, that's that's really interesting. Um, there's a lot of training for that, right? In terms of not only the 
the different kind of throws and holds and how you fall and hit the floor, but the, the even the theatrics behind it, right? Everything, yeah. You got to be like a total package. I feel like it comes back to sales too because um, when I wrestle, my persona is like a good guy. And believe me, it's a lot easier to be a bad guy than it is a good guy because it's, it's easy to get people to not like you. It really is. You don't have to do very much. But to be a good guy and make people like you is super, super hard. You really got to sell yourself. So, um, so tell me more about how you transitioned into pro wrestling and what, you know, how did you get into it? How did you train for it, get educated <laughs> about it? Uh, and uh, how big is it in the Chicago area? Yeah, it's actually huge in the Chicago area. Some of the best wrest- well, pro wrestlers in, in the game today came out of Chicago. Um, actually, a lot of guys that I've wrestled with came are in WWE now, which is really cool to see. Those are you guys. actually part of WWE? No, no, absolutely not. That's, I mean, that's, that would be a full-time commitment. That's, you know, a big, big, big deal. Uh, it's like being a pro pro athlete, you know? So what I do is just kind of like amateur bingo hall type stuff. What I did, and I haven't done it actually in a couple of years, mm-hmm. but, uh, one of the things I'm, we talked about training is I'm going to do it probably when I have one of my last matches this July. Okay. Um, and I was kind of getting I'm already in shape for it now. Um, cause everybody asks me now, even now that I'm here at echo, they hear like, Hey, I heard you used to do this wrestling thing. And I, I wish I could have came and saw you. And I, I thought, okay, this is it. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite all my family, my friends, my coworkers, everybody to come see me this July, my last time. Well, make and, sure you tell me when it is. I want to bring my son. All right, cool. Yeah. You, you'd really like it. It's, it is. It's like, it's like a, like a mini WWE. That's what it would be like. It's funny because, um, you know, with, with a son that's active in wrestling, you know, we follow the sport, you know, at the college level and international and Olympic levels. And, uh, so many of these guys that are elite world-class wrestlers, you know, there's no money in it. And, you know, when they retire from, you call it amateur wrestling, uh, they're either going into MMA or into pro wrestling. Yeah. And that's cause that's where the money is. And, yeah. uh, it's amazing how much some of the pro wrestling guys make. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, some of the best wrestlers were amateur guys. I know, you know, Kurt Angle, yeah. Olympic gold medalist, um, you know, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Not, he's pro wrestler. And do you lift weights a lot? Yeah, I do. I used to lift at David Barton, unfortunately, until they closed. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if they're going to replace that operation um, with somebody new. Have you heard? Yeah, I haven't heard anything. Hmm. Well, um, how's it been at Echo so far? You've been uh, part of the, the Echo family now for about a year and a half and, and uh, moved into Chicago now for a few months. I know there's been some adjustment. How's it going? Um, well, First, let me say this. I think I'm one of the first command guys to come talk to you as far as a customer rep or carrier rep. Um, and I feel like that's a, a big responsibility for me to maybe speak for a few of the guys that I've talked to um, about the transition and, and the way things are, are going right now. And when we officially, officially transitioned in October and we merged systems, um, it was scary. It was new. And we were prepped for that, especially, you know, uh, Ryan Burke and John Camelli, they, they came around and they let us know, Hey guys, something might break. Something might not work. We got to all stick together and we got to hang together and, and, and work this thing out. And, um, at times it was extremely frustrating, especially October, November. And, uh, in December I started seeing the changes. Um, people started getting it and, um, it's been scary. Um, but it's been, it's starting to get good it, it's it and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes so it's still in my opinion and of course i i actually had some long talks with brian burke about it too it's all in its baby stages still yeah. well i would say that um whenever you do a big integration of, of two big companies and i've been a part of some in the past 
it's always challenging. You know, you try to anticipate what's going to go wrong. You try to look around the corner and you're never going to see everything that's there. And I think when we got to the early part of December, we realized that, you know, there were a lot of loose ends that needed to be tied up and we're still working on those. But, you know, I, I would put them into several categories. You know, you have, um, technology issues, you know, because you've got a group of echo people learning how to use the command technology. You've got command people learning to use part of the echo technology. Uh, we lost some of the functionality in the command technology really by design because we wanted to hit a date and we knew that we could bring some of the functionality back at a later date, but it was frustrating to people who suddenly lost, you know, capabilities that they'd had in the past. So the technology was kind of one area. I think another area is process. Um, you know, we, we tried as much as we could to what I would say, reconcile the processes, you know, things like credit and, you know, billing and invoicing and things that, that are done. And, and I don't think we got those fully reconciled. And so we're working really hard right now to try to get them completely reconciled and have, you know, the, the new way that everybody understands and can conform to, um, I think the third issue is culture. You know, we've, we've, there's slight differences in the culture that, um, again, those have to be reconciled over time. And so, you know, if you take all of that together, it kind of falls into a, a discipline that's called change management, you know, and when organizations go through change, you have to help people get through that change, you know, and, and you have to, you know, triage the problems. You also have to, um, manage expectations really you know you, you've got to let people know that it's going to get worse before it gets better you know there there's the typical valley of despair and then we work our way out of the valley of despair and things actually get good so i think we spent a little bit of time in the valley of despair and uh, i think we're we're working our way out of that um, you know our, our results really didn't suffer we had a good fourth quarter and uh I think on an individual basis, people could have been affected, you know, on some loads here or there, and hopefully we, we made everybody whole on that. But uh, I'm encouraged that, that the future looks bright, and I'm glad to hear you say that too. Yeah, I'm definitely encouraged. And uh, one of my colleagues, his name is Pete Delman, told me that this is the fourth buyout that he's been involved with. And he said this is the smoothest, best one he's ever seen. And, you know, it, for most of us, this is our first job out of college, and this is our first time dealing with something like this. So when I say it was scary – you know, I mean, you got to realize too, this is the first time in our careers that we've ever seen this. I know uh, Brian Burke and John Camelli had, had seen one. And, and really the, the things that you were talking about too uh, was like a perfect storm of things that potentially could go wrong. Um, and really between the market and the transition at that, right at that time made it just a little bit harder. Now that the market's opening up is kind of really helping the sun come out, you know what I mean? And show us like, Oh wow, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, I think it was the, the third point you made was the culture. That was something I was really hoping to talk to you about today. Was Let's the, talk about it. Yeah, the culture clash between Echo reps and command reps. Um, I mean, we, uh, in my opinion, do the exact same thing still from where we were at, uh, at command and, and now dealing with Echo reps. And I have not met one bad Echo rep yet, personally. I, I have not. Um, Really great guys to work with, and and and, and ladies, um, it's it's been really awesome. But there's just these small differences, and they're differences for Echo reps too. So I'm, I'm definitely not trying to throw anybody under the bus or, or jump on anybody. But um, we had little nuances and rules at command, and Echo had little rules and nuances, and nobody's really kind of pushing these rules 
um, to both cultures. I, I, Things like answering the phone by the second ring. Is that an example? That is like my biggest example. That okay. to me is like the most important example we could possibly give. And I'm kind of bummed out that you said that because I, 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 I listen <laughs> I to your thunder. <laughs> yeah. Cause I listen to your podcast and you always say, well, if you were CEO, what, what would you do if you could just make a sweeping change tomorrow? And I, I'm, I'm a realist, right? So you can't just change a million things in one day, but if there's one sweeping change I would make, it would be the two ring rule. Okay. Um, and to me that, that one is the, just you, I guess you hear it a lot. Um, I think we're making some changes in the voicemail policy to harmonize between the two groups. That was, uh, I think, one of the places where we stubbed our toe is we didn't we didn't bring that completely together on in October. But uh, yeah, I, I hear you. I think uh, it was a good policy that that command had in place, and and um, <clears throat> we're working on that. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I hear a lot of people, especially on this podcast, they use the word passion a lot. Like, I have so much passion for this place, and of course, I do too. And it, it's easy to get heated when you have a lot of passion. And I, I, to me, what a better way to, 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 when we talk about like in-person sales and what we say to our customers, well, we answer our phone after two rings. We answer them after two rings, either I'm going to, or my colleague sitting next to me is going to, but somebody is gonna, you know, to me, like that's real passion. That's, that's, that's putting, you know what I mean? Words to an actual action. Yeah. My, my understanding is there's some configuration that has to go on because you have group coverage groups, right? If somebody yeah. doesn't answer their phone, somebody else covers for them. There's an element of teamwork, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we, I think they're working on putting that in place everywhere, but, uh, that'd be exciting. For what, me. what other uh, cultural examples do you notice? Um, well, see, there's, there's rules and I always call them technicalities. Like, Oh, you technically got me. You got me. Um, <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Cause, cause you're following the rules through technicalities, say through clutch. Um, and there's little things that there's, there's the rules that you get right, right. And you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's what you morally should do. And when it comes to sales and making money and stuff like that, there tends to be another little culture clash because God, and we're really getting into it now. Um, for this is primarily between customer reps and carrier reps. So let's say you got a load on the board, right? And you got, um, somebody's got you a $500 truck and there are three people back. And you tell them, you know what? I will take your $500 truck. Absolutely. And then somebody calls you who's in the load at that moment. They say, Hey, I got you a $500 truck. Will you take that? Well, the honest answer is yes. I, I, I guess I have to take your truck because I was going to take somebody else's for 500 at command. Maybe you would see a guy go, Hey, listen, I already told this guy three people back that I would take his truck. He got me the rate first. I'm going to go with his. Well, by the rules, that's not how it works. We, you have to take whoever's $500 truck comes first because you accepted $500. And, uh, and, and it goes for uh, command, former command reps too, but they're, I guess I'm always trying to be fair to everybody. And it's easy to lose some of that like fairness when it comes to the system and, and of course, the, the, the cultural differences. And I, I don't think that's going to change until we spend more time together. Uh, primarily, you know, I, I don't have an answer for that one. Um, it takes time. I agree with you. I think we just have to work through it. Everybody has to get used to each other. They have to get used to the technology. Have you had much opportunity to meet uh, people from Echo? A little bit, a little bit. I wish I could meet more people. Um, and, and that's why I'm excited to talk to you today. Cause I'm, I was excited to get to know you a little bit better. I know in some of your past podcasts, you had said that you get to talk to all of the incoming classes. Yep. Um, and of course you've talked to us through 
you know, the big town halls and whatnot. And we've got to see you walking around a little bit, but it, it's, we never got to get you that, you know, that, that one-on-one time when you were like one of the first faces to meet, um, when we did the transition, you know, we, we were never people in a class, you know, like uh, new kids in a class that got to talk to you. We talked to Danny, you know, of course our former, uh, boss, but we, I, you know, I, I just, I was excited to get face to face with you, get some FaceTime finally. Well, I'm happy to meet anytime. Just, uh, yeah. just grab me. Okay, cool. So, uh, what excites you to get up in the morning and come to work? Um, hopefully this doesn't sound crude, but of course I got that sales degree and I, I, and I, I interned for a company called EMC. It was a really awesome sales organization. Sure. They, uh, one of the Hard, great, hardware, right? Yes. Yes. Hardware. And I, I was, this is what I was taught, but money, 100% money. Um, if you're a sales guy, you should not be offended if somebody asks you how much money you make, nor should you be, uh, scared to ask some, another sales guy how much money they make because that, that's the etiquette I was taught. So that's the scorecard, right? It is. It really is. And listen, I love the guys I work with. I spend 50 hours a week minimum sitting by them. And if I didn't like them, believe me, it, that would make this job really, really hard. The people I work with are phenomenal. Some of my customers are just, I mean, I'm so close with them. It's almost, you know, weird. Um, and some of them like pro wrestling. So we really hit it off. Um, so those things are all bonuses. But the reason I get out of bed every money, uh, m- morning is for money. It's, it's this job allows you the opportunity to make as much money as you possibly can through your work. Well, I like to hear that because, you know, the way that we've set up the compensation system, uh, both, you know, previously at command and currently at echo is, is that, uh, when our people make a lot of money, the company makes money. So, uh, that's a good thing. Our, our goals are aligned as they say. Um, if you could change one thing about echo, echo slash command, however you want to look at it, um, could change one thing about echo what would it be maybe we covered it you kind of covered it i mean if like i said it's it's hard to make sweeping changes and the one thing and i hate to beat a dead horse here um because there's so many things that well echo is a great company first off let me say that and it's doing a lot of things right and really the things that i want to change are kind of they're, they're small and potentially insignificant but they're things that could really help the culture here and that that two ring rule to me is so so important because you're answering the phone for your your colleagues um, that are calling you uh, you're getting them quick answers and in this business you got to be quick you got to be quick on your feet and you're telling your customers we care about you so to me that it it sounds silly but it it is so so important okay good I'm I'm looking at interesting facts here in my notes and uh, I see that you have five turtles yeah <laughs> tell I do. me about that. Oh uh, yeah, people always they always ask me if I have pets or you know you just get in conversation with people. You have any pets? And I would say I have five turtles, and they think what they, you know they're always kind of taken aback. Like I, I don't know, maybe they don't assume that I would have them, or it's just weird for anyone to have five turtles. But growing up, we were never allowed to have a, a dog or a cat or anything like that. My dad got us a turtle, and uh, I loved that thing. And uh, of course, that was that was years ago. And as I you know when I got out of school, I said, hey, I'm you know when I have time and I'm kind of settled. I'm going to get my turtle. So I've actually had them for like eight years now, uh, right. my, my little babies. But yeah. Are they I, big now? Yeah, they're huge. One of them is the size of a football. Wow. It's, uh, yeah. She, she, <laughs> they keep them inside? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got a huge aquarium for them. Um, I love them. Every morning they're waking me up. Uh, people don't think turtles have personalities, but they have awesome personalities. And they very much want to be left alone, too. So like they'll give you a little they're attention. Introverts. You give them a little bit. And then after the rest of the day, they're like, hey, leave me alone. They're not like a dog. So it's, they're like a perfect pet if you don't have a lot of time. 
That's funny. Yeah, I love them. You going to add any other pets to your menagerie? Um, I actually have a bearded dragon as well. Okay. Um, which I, I got this past summer. Um, it's a, it. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they they're they look like lizards, but they're they, they call them dragons, and they got like big, almost looks like a beard, and they're um they're the same way as turtles. They're really cool. Okay. Any wife or kids? Uh, girlfriend. I had a girlfriend for like, and everybody makes fun of me for this, but like ten years. Okay. Uh, I met her in college, and hopefully we. I won't pressure you. Okay, cool. Everyone else does. <laughs> it's your choice, man. All right, cool. Okay. So what's your favorite thing about Echo? Um, well, if Echo was a person, this is what I'd say about them. They listen. They keep an open mind. And they're not afraid to change. And to me, that's like the biggest compliment I can give somebody. Somebody who's open-minded and is always trying to become better. And um, since we came in with the integration, our software has changed tenfold all because i feel like you guys listened and we made suggestions and you've implemented them and they i feel like you guys are still listening and you're still making the changes and that's very encouraging for me and i that's what i try to remind a lot of my my fellow colleagues about when when they start getting bummed out because i say hey if they weren't listening and they weren't making our changes then i'd be scared but because you guys are and we've seen them just the other day we had an update on uh on 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 optimizer um, where we see if our loads go over to clutch or not, it's a yes, mm-hmm. no button, something so simple like that, but it, it's, it's huge. It really helps us a lot. It saves me a lot of time. How's morale doing these days? Better. You know, like I said, at first it was, it was just, it was so much, it was new. It was new, it was new, it was new. And now it, it's still in its baby stages, but it, it's in its stages of growing, which is exciting. I think once the market loosened up, morale picked way up. So I'm going to ask that question, uh, and you can't use the same answer. If you were the CEO tomorrow and you could uh, do one thing other than the two-ring rule, what would it be? Okay, I got one. <laughs> um, I would make our commissions real-time. Um, I would make it so that we can see our commissions um, as they happen. Because um, right now, of course, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or give it too much away here, but we have to wait a day for yep. everything to update, and then we see it. And so much happens here in a day, so much happens here in an hour that when you have to wait a day to look back to see if everything looks right, you, A, you can't remember, B, that was yesterday's problems and we got a whole new set today. So real-time commissions is really important for We're actually working reps. on some fixes to the technology that will provide um, some instant view of commissions, but it's been pushed back a little bit just while we work on some of these immediate fixes. But I think uh, you'll see that in the not-too-distant future. That's exciting too. Good, good. Well, uh, I'd just like to give the uh, guest uh, an opportunity to ask me a question if there's something on your mind or something you'd like to know. Sure. Um, you know, you are sort of like a like a, a polarizing figure to the, a lot of the command reps because, like I said, we didn't get a chance to get uh, a ton of one-on-one time with you. I think that some uh, Echo reps do because when I listen to people on the podcast, I feel like they, they know you really, really well. And um, I guess for us, our, our day-to-day – is sort of, especially in the morning time, is routine. Come in, we get our coffee, and, you know, we build our loads, put them on the board, yada, yada, yada. I'm curious, and of course, I, I know a couple of my colleagues are too. I would like to know what it's like um, to be Doug Wagner for a day. Like, <laughs> what, you know, I, I mean, we can only imagine right now. I don't know if it's coming in, you talk to the shareholders, or you got to get meetings, or if it's every day the same, you come in, you get your coffee too, and you're looking over the boards. I, I'm curious. Well, I never miss my coffee, so I get coffee every morning. That's for sure. 
you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting job because, um, every day is different, you know, and, uh, I could be with investors one day. I could be with, uh, board members. I could be with customers. I could be with employees. I could be with vendors. I could be at an industry conference. So I think one of the, you know, the fascinating things about, you know, my job is that, that, uh, every day is different, you know, and there are certain things obviously I have to get done, but I always think that a CEO's job is really to serve three constituents. You know, you've got the employees because without employees, you don't have a business, right? You have to serve customers because without customers, you don't have a business and you have to serve shareholders because they're the ones that invest the capital, uh, to build and grow the business. So, so, I really think about my job in terms of how do I balance those three, you know? So when I hear you say that, for instance, that, um, you know, there's a lot of command people that don't feel like they know me or don't get to have one-on-one conversation with me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this recording session and think about how I can get in front of more command people and give them a chance to, you know, ask their questions and talk and get to know them because I think that is important, you know, and I, I don't want people to feel like, um, you know, they, they, they're disconnected or they don't have access. So it's, it's, uh, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, and of course, don't take it the wrong way because it, it, I, I think we all understand that it's hard to meet 600 people individually. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we actually have 2,400. So well, yeah, I know 2,400, but then of course, bring and then be, bringing on 600 commanders on top of the, you know, amount of people you have. You know, uh, one of the good, good ways that I do it is uh, I try to get invited uh, to the different team meetings, you know, so if a sales manager or a care oh, manager okay. is having a meeting with their team, you know, I, I always tell them, you know, please invite me. I'm happy to come. I'm happy to listen, be a, a mouse in the corner, or I'm also happy to give an update on the company or what I'm seeing in the market or what I'm hearing about competitors. So, uh, you know, I continue to extend that offer to anybody that would like me to attend one of their meetings. You know, I, I don't like to butt in on people's meetings. Um, but I'm always happy to join them. That's awesome. I'll have to bug my manager to get you in on one. Okay, good. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Uh, anything else on your mind? No, it's, uh, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm very grateful that you gave me this much time. Well, thanks for joining me today. And that's uh, Chris Wilkes, Inside Sales, Echo in Chicago. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.